Welcome to TBA Now. I'm Keith Stern, the rabbi of Temple Beth Avodah. I am blessed to know the many extraordinary people who are connected to our congregational community. This podcast is an opportunity to get to know who they are and what they do. Steve Kaufer is a very bright, engaging, focused man. As the co-founder and CEO of TripAdvisor, he knows more about travel before, during, and God willing, after COVID than anyone I've ever met. We talked about the state of travel today, the resilience of his company, TripAdvisor, some projects Steve and his wife, Lisa, support, and a whole lot more. And by the way, you should know that Steve's feeling very positive about the future. So book some tickets and then come listen. Steve Kaufer, you've been a longtime member of Temple Beth Avoda among all of your many accomplishments and involvements uh, over these past years. Could you tell us something about how you found Temple Beth Avoda and how long you've been a member of the congregation? Oh my gosh, uh, I'd be happy to, but you can't put me on the spot as to how many years. Uh, <laughs> that would require too much, uh, too much math for me. We were looking around, trying to decide between a reform or a conservative. We felt ourselves a little in between and did, I guess they call it temple shopping a little bit. Mm -hmm. When we came as a visiting family to a TBA service, it just felt so wonderful. Carol and I looked at each other and it just kind of, this was our home. The fact that it was also convenient to where we lived, that was an extra plus. And we checked out the Hebrew school for the kids. That got thumbs up all around. So became very natural and certainly have never looked back. We've just had a delightful time. No, we're glad that uh, you ended up being a part of it and you have been one of the really extremely moving and significant parts about your affiliation uh, with the temple has been your warm philanthropic embrace. And it's made a huge difference in the temple community. And whenever I walk in the building to see the way it looks and the way it feels. Uh, I'm really thankful to you and to your generosity. Lisa and I have been very pleased to have been lucky enough to be able to support the temple in that way and uh, you know, as well as our other activities. We, of course, are so thrilled and thankful. All right, Steve. So uh, take me back to the improbable events that ended up giving birth to TripAdvisor. Okay, so I have to take you back to, I think, 1998 or so, kind of way back. Was planning a, a vacation, wanted to go somewhere nice. I had a week off, didn't take too much vacation back then. What were you doing before uh, you ended up involved in this juggernaut? I was a co-founder and head of uh, engineering for a company called Centerline Software. We made software development tools for professional programmers on Unix workstation, something if you were a programmer, you might understand. And if you were anyone else in the world, you had no idea what I was talking about. And it, it was a fun company. I started it right out, out of school with a couple of friends and it had a wonderful growth path. And then a unfortunate slide downhill as the market changed and you know it didn't go bankrupt, but didn't turn out to be anything like what we had expected after 15 years of investment in it. 
So I was still working at that company at the time, 98, and looking for that next vacation. I went to a travel agent because that's what everyone did at that time. Travel agent said, hey, how about Playa del Carmen, south of Mexico, south of Cancun in Mexico? I said, never heard of it. Sounds great. It's got a beach. It's warm. Right, right. Uh, So I left the agency with uh, three brochures and the brochures, uh, three different resorts uh, to stay there. One was uh, luxurious, expensive. The other was equally beautiful, moderately priced. And the third, the photos were just as good as the first and the second, and it was quite affordable. So I, uh, uh, we brought them home. We talked about it. I'm like, well, they all looked absolutely beautiful. We're going to stay at the inexpensive one. And uh, my wife said, let's, you know, we should go on the internet, uh, the we being you, should go on the internet (laughs) and find out whether this uh, cheap place was actually any good. So I thought, no, great idea. Let me go on the internet. I searched in the search engines. And sure enough, when I typed in the name of the resort, I got a lot of pages back. And then I started clicking. And the Pages kind of all look the same in an extremely depressing way. I would click and I get to a travel agency in Cincinnati that had a low res version of the high res picture that was in front of me that Mm -hmm. said, call their 800 number in order to book the property. And I'm like, that's not what I wanted. What I wanted was whether people thought this place was good or bad. And eventually, and I'm talking three, four, five days later after a lot of searching, I stumbled across this individual's uh, almost like a, a, a personal homepage, a blog that said, this property is good. We had a nice time. There were pictures, but the pool was really crowded. You had to wait to get the chairs. I'm like, ooh, I'm not sure I want to go there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we mentally upgraded ourselves to the next property, the intermediate one. We went, we had a great time. And on the way home, it was like, hey, so what are you going to do next? And I'm like, well, I don't know. You should start a travel company that would help people plan their trips. And I said, nah, <laughs> it must be something else that sounds, but you know, Two years later, in February of 2000, that was still the best idea that uh, that we had had. And so, you know, TripAdvisor, a travel search engine, was born with kind of a B2B business model. And, you know, fast forward 20-something years, the story turned out very different than the original plan, but I can't complain. <laughs> when you talk about the trajectory of TripAdvisor, trying to imagine what you thought it would be and what it's become. We have no idea how any idea uh, will ever truly pan out. You have to have the idea. You have to be bold enough or crazy enough to take the first step and to try it. Then you have to be flexible enough to realize the original idea might have good parts, but will probably need some adaptation along the way. And TripAdvisor started as a B2B business model. We were going to license our search results. We were going to index professional reviews and help Expedia and Yahoo Travel and other sites deliver a better service. Like, wow, the company is totally different now. We're based on user reviews, not professional reviews. We're very much B2C, business to consumer. We have Mm. the most popular travel website. People come to us, not 
those other sites in order to gain the information. But to our credit, when things weren't working in the original model, we were perfectly happy to pivot and 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 find something else. Fortunately, we were able to do that before we ran out of money, which is one of the most common reasons why startups uh, don't quite make it. How did you make that transition from B2B to B2C? Like, how did you decide to take that path? And how overwhelming was the decision once you realized you wanted to do it? Uh, well, in a sense, there were two separate decisions with, with different rationales. We were a B2B site. We had indexed some content. Maybe there was a button to write your own reviews, but user reviews were not the core benefit of the site at that point. And we had to pivot because we couldn't get paid. Nobody, we had, we had one client that was willing to pay us a little bit of money in order to license our, our search engine technology. So out of desperation, we said, well, what else can we do? And we had a little traffic to demo.tripadvisor.com. We quickly renamed it www.tripadvisor.com. We started on how can we get some more traffic and then how can we make money from the traffic that was on the site? And a lot of invention is really just copying and repurposing a bit. So we copied these cost per click text links that you now know as Google ads. We put them on TripAdvisor. And so if you were looking at the Marriott Newton Hotel, you could read some reviews from professional authors and then click on a link that says book this hotel on Expedia and Expedia would pay us for the link. When we figured out that part of the model, we quickly became profitable, which in any startup's life is, is a very exciting moment. And then we were like, how do we now go get more traffic? How do we get more clients? And so the button that we had added that said, write your own review, we were slowly collecting reviews. And fortunately, the reviews were not all, darn it, I had a shitty vacation, you should never stay at this hotel. The reviews were actually mostly positive, which was encouraging because we wanted people to use our site to help plan the good vacation, not just avoid the bad places. And then as we watched what users did between looking at the, the guidebooks, the links we had to Fedora's and Frommer's and Lonely Planet, if that was in one section. In another section we had, here's what other people just like you had to say. And we listed the reviews. We saw that users preferred to look at other users' comments more than click off to the guidebooks. We weren't sure why, because that was contrary to our thesis, but it was insightful. And we started putting more reviews at the top of the page instead of the bottom of the page. We mm. made the write your own review button bigger. We got more reviews. And that just kind of, you know, first we moved the professional reviews over to the side of the page and user reviews were in the center. And then honestly, nobody was clicking on the professional reviews. And so wow. 10 years later, they actually disappeared from the site. I am a customer of TripAdvisor and TripAdvisor Plus and have used it for innumerable uh, vacations. I must say one of the times that it made me feel particularly happy was uh, when we planned a family trip some years ago to San Miguel Allende. And uh, I got to this little place and I go to the front door and there is the TripAdvisor decal that's basically saying, you know, we 
we know this place. This is a, a quote unquote kosher place to come for a cup of coffee. And it felt really good that walking into this fairly nondescript place that um, they had kind of gotten this recognition as being a favorable location. I wonder how that plays out with with other venues across the TripAdvisor platform. It, it's quite true. You can see those kind of TripAdvisor stickers, especially the, the Traveler Choice Awards that we give out each year, pretty much anywhere around the world, especially where where tourists go. And for me, it, it's it's really heartening. I mean, the restaurants and the hotels do it because uh, we're a very well-known brand and, and it feels safer to go in. Oh, they want a TripAdvisor award. That must mean it's pretty good. What I love about it is, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I was, uh, I was giving a speech at, at a conference afterwards. A gentleman comes up and says, oh, Mr. Coffer, I, I was really looking forward to meeting you. I want to thank you so much for, for what you know, TripAdvisor does. I'm like, oh, you're, you're welcome. I, I think he's a traveler. I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. I'm here at this conference because my mom's business in South Africa was successful because uh, she got herself listed on TripAdvisor and the reviews really made her business. And I'm like, that, wonderful, but that's really your mom's business because she delivered the service that got mm -hmm. all those wonderful reviews. And he goes, Oh no, you don't understand. We had the business for a while. What was different is that when she uh, suggested to people to write the reviews on TripAdvisor, we became almost famous. People would come in from different towns and from different countries, and they'd want to eat at our place because they heard about us through TripAdvisor. And that free marketing vehicle was what you know, uh, as as he put it, was what got him, you know, uh, mother son to this conference and and often a career in in hospitality. And now you, you it was kind of like multiply that by hundreds of thousands or millions of small businesses that thrive on the visibility that TripAdvisor gives them for free because we list every business that's applicable to tourism that's open, doesn't mm -hmm. cost anything. And I look at it as like, oh, wonderful for the small business, free publicity that they earn through great reviews. Yeah. And the owners that don't care about customer satisfaction, they get bad reviews and they sometimes might go out of business because they don't care about the customer. That's a good thing for travelers. And travelers who take the time to do a little research about where they're going, get a better experience because they're selecting the better places. So they yeah. have a better vacation. So someone once asked me, hey, kind of what motivates you to keep going? Like the, the small businesses that are now thriving because of the publicity, the travelers that are now kind of on average having a better a better trip every trip they're taking. And, you know, and internally, hey, it's it's it, it's a nice feeling to have generated as, as as many jobs and provided for the livelihoods of uh of a lot of people around the world. So that that's all a pretty good and it and it starts with to wind all the way back to the decal you saw in the window. Yeah, it just kind of starts back with helping those small businesses reach their audience. Do you have like a Hall of Fame people that write sort of you have 400 reviews from one user do are, are there certain people that just 
love it and, and people that you trust. I don't have individuals on the site that I follow and like read them like I might read a columnist in, in the newspaper. But are there like prolific writers that, that write on the site a lot? Yeah, there really are. I'm pretty good. I think I have like seven or 800 contributions, but I am nowhere near up, up near the top. I looked it up a couple of years ago and there was somebody in our New York City forums, I believe, that had posted, uh, I think this is right, had posted more than a hundred thousand times. Oh my God. I actually got an opportunity to, to meet her when the company went public many years ago. She didn't have a hundred thousand at the time, but she was one of our most prolific authors. And so we invited her to the kind of cocktail party sort of thing. I was dying to talk with the person, meet the person mm-hmm. who had so much time that they wanted to contribute that much. And mind you, you know, this is not a, a paid position. Quite consciously not paid. Yeah. We don't want to bias anything. And the reward is like, yes, you have a big number next to your name and you <laughs> can be labeled a destination expert. So she was a destination expert for New York. And I remember meeting her and she was a consultant who worked 40 hours a week, was in the tech field. And I'm like, wow, I'm thinking, where do you find the time? And I'm trying to think of a gentle way to ask the question. And she volunteered, you know, I just love helping people. And so I come home, you know, I help people as part of my job. That's kind of a bit of what I do, but I love New York. It's the best city in the world. So if I can spend some time each day helping more people understand the city and it can be appreciated, that just, that, that's the cat's meow. That's what I love doing. So some before dinner, some after dinner. Wow. And, you know, I don't let my employer see that I occasionally do some <laughs> at work. You know, so I'm like, wow. And it turns out you don't need millions of those people mm-hmm. to have an incredibly useful set of forums. Sometimes people will ask me, hey, what's the, wh- what are some of the underrated features of TripAdvisor? Because everyone knows us for reviews and candid photos and price checking and booking experiences, but what are some of those other things? And I often will tell people or ask them, have they used our forums? And no, what's that? Anywhere you go in the world, you can find our forum section and you can ask any question you want about that city. Let's say you're going to Austin, Texas, and like, what's the best blues bar in blah, blah, blah area that's open after midnight? Maybe that information is somewhere else on TripAdvisor, but maybe not. You're just asking the forums. And sure enough, someone's going to answer, give you their personal opinion, probably with the story behind it. You have a back and forth conversation. Some people have met up on, on these things. It was like, it's a wonderful testament to how much people are happy to help complete strangers on their travels. It occurs to me as you're describing that remarkable person, but that, look, essentially, it is people that take the time to write comments or forums and you know, forgetting the people that are really ticked off and want to tell everyone they can in as many places as possible, horrible food or whatever. But in fact, it's really about people who enjoy being with people. And I think the travel experience, people who love to travel are their own unique subcategory of human beings. And I think 
it would seem to me impossible to imagine a travel aficionado who would not include in the top three reasons they love it is to meet people. Yes, to meet people, to share in both directions, to experience other cultures. And then even the the casual traveler, show me one that didn't want to share their experiences after they Mm -hmm. came home with their family and friends. I'm like, you created magnificent memories with people you care about on your vacation, on your trip. And like sharing is part of all of us. It is. And you have to rely a lot on the honesty and trust of the people that um, send in uh, comments and reviews. Has it become increasingly difficult or dicier to walk that line between looking at people who are trying to take advantage of the system to, I don't know, uh, there are two restaurants in town and I want to make sure you don't go to that one, so I'm going to write a bad review even though I've never been there. Do you find that sort of darker side extremely challenging and problematic and does it tend to uh, eclipse the positive energy of the people that send in their comments and reviews? Sure. uh, uh, A very fair question. And I'll kind of give you the the background. TripAdvisor exists. like We are still in existence and still the biggest travel site because people have come to our site for this insight, for these opinions, and we've steered them in the right direction. And you can appreciate if, in fact, we steer people in the wrong direction because of these things like fake reviews, they're not going to come back. And so we have an existential goal, purpose, vision, mission to make sure that the information on TripAdvisor is as accurate as possible. The reviews guide you correctly. And look, the the same hotel or the same restaurant can have a five-star review and a one-star review. So it's, it's rarely black and white, but the core integrity of the site is critical to us. So therefore, in the very beginning, we required you to log in, create an account as opposed to a purely anonymous review. We'll hide your identity because a lot of the time you'll go to a restaurant and the waiter or waitress will, hey, how was your meal? And you'll say, it was fine, even though it was terrible, because you don't really want to get into a conversation right there with, uh, with the server. And then you get to go home and write a review that hopefully persuades others not to go there, and you don't want to be identified. That's why, you know, that's why we have screen names. But you're still logged in. And we know, TripAdvisor knows who you are. And TripAdvisor has a content integrity team whose sole job is to make sure that when people write reviews, they really are them, their firsthand experiences. And we've built over the past 20 years a ton of different algorithms into our software to check on this thing. And to those in the tech community, you probably know how many fingerprints you can leave around the internet that help us track down whether you say who you are. Now, contrast our content integrity team with the typical restaurant or hotel owner that do a phenomenal job managing a restaurant or a hotel, but generally are not the most technically savvy. So, hey, 
a review gets written, uh, doesn't get posted because we're suspicious of something. The author of the review writes in and says, hey, how come my review wasn't posted? They forget that Outlook will append their signature to that email. And so even though they're, you know, Steve Smith traveling from Ohio, their signature says they're the general manager of the hotel. You know, so we know how to do this stuff and the folks we're fighting against in general don't. Mm. We actually just released a transparency report where we outlined, and we hope the rest of the industry would copy, how we caught a million reviews as suspicious or fake reviews before they made it to the site. Mm. Let me give you another example. Somebody writes 10 bad reviews of restaurants in a single city in a single week and one good one, 10 one stars and one five star. They think they're being clever, hurting their competition and boosting themselves. Yeah. It's really easy for us to find that automatically. So we flag it, ban the user, et cetera. Finally, when the hotel or restaurant or attraction continues with behavior that after being warned by us, we do have a stick. We employ the stick not frequently, but there's always cases of of bad actors where we've warned you and now we give you a red badge that says, hey, we have reason to believe this establishment is influencing the veracity of the reviews on the site and will knock you down X number of positions in our popularity index. So the stick is you're going to be badged uh, with a not pleasant badge and you're going to lose traffic from us. So not a good idea. Right. That, and you think it's been a pretty effective deterrent? Stunningly effective. <laughs> You've got our computers doing the job. You have the content in, uh, integrity team. You have our users who themselves can click on any review and say, hey, I'd like to right. report this. Might be inappropriate. Some language we didn't pick up might be suspicious, which again, sends it back to us. And like, hey, thanks, whoever suspicious thinks this is suspicious. And we go through a second level of verification. And sometimes we'll pull those reviews because, yeah, it slipped by and, and we take it off. So we get hoteliers, restaurateurs, not infrequently asking, hey, I don't think this person stayed here. They're talking about or ate here. They're talking about a filet mignon meal and we don't even serve filet mignon. Can you please check? We'll email the author of the review. They say, oh, sorry, you know, wrong restaurant, and we fix it. So we're kind of on the side of yeah. the suppliers, the, the owners, as well as the individuals. And if you're in the hospitality business, you also know that you can't please everyone all the time. So you just kind of have to get used to a bad review every now and then. Yeah. Steve, have, have you noticed over these past 20 years the arc of travel in the world? Have you noticed any significant trends that have changed in terms of habits, destinations, what people want to do, where they want to spend? Have you noticed any kind of changes over time? Overall, travel has gotten cheaper, air travel in particular. Prices have come down a lot from 20 years ago. People are therefore going further, a lot more international travel than than there was before. It's not kind of out of reach. Air travel and the notion of traveling more than a two-week American vacation is just become more normal. 
when we think of millennials and younger generations, they're going to go have fun somewhere for just the weekend. I grew up in LA. I'd hang out in LA. Now, friends, I'm like, yeah, we're going to go to Vegas for the weekend. We're going to drive up to San Francisco. We're going to pop down to Tijuana in ways like, wow, it's such an adventure. I'm like, oh, we do it all the time. So it's just becoming that much more common. Are the numbers of people that travel, has that increased as well? Yes, excluding COVID times. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, The the numbers continually go up. Asia has been super fast growing over the past uh, past decades, more airlines coming into existence. The low cost carriers have really shaken up the air industry, which is, have really generated a, a lot more travelers. The Ryanairs of the world mm-hmm. enabling people to go anywhere throughout Europe just to get there. Yeah, that that's been a huge huge boom. As a kid, I remember that when people would fly, that they would dress up um, to get on the plane. I remember the first time, maybe I was eight years old, we flew to visit cousins from Connecticut to uh, Miami. And it was such a thing. And I have to say that, you know, watching people literally get on airplanes now in pajamas and flip flops, not only is there no glamour, but it really is pretty much just a Greyhound bus with wings. And, and I understand, look, at, I, I get the, the, the economics of it all. But, but I must admit that it's a part of travel that now sort of becomes, how can I best cushion myself from the inconvenience and the discomfort of travel? Everything you say is true. Having had the privilege of flying business class for, for work on a few uh, times, it's pretty comfortable. But I look back at the images from, from 50s and 60s and like, Wow, that was just a very different type of travel. Yeah. Easy trade off in my head. Yes, people complain. I'm one of them. I'm in economy. I can barely stretch out my feet. I'm pretty short. I like, oh my goodness, this is, this is tight. And yes, the glamour of air travel with TSA and everything else in my mind is, is almost all gone. Yeah. But I still love looking out the window on, on an airplane. Uh, for those that haven't traveled in COVID times, I've been on a few trips recently. It's so much fun to get back uh, on the road. And then because the prices, while they may seem high in comparison to what our parents were paying, they're really, really low. And that's just opened up so much more parts of the world and that enables us to do so much more than our parents ever thought of. Yeah. And that's, I think, really, really good, and frankly, worth the worth being crowded in in uh, in in the economy seats. So, okay, so we've mentioned the c word, and I think we need to explore that a bit. I wanted to look at it through your eyes as a leader of a company whose literal raison d'etre is people traveling. When did the hair on the back of your neck start to uh, start to tingle? Yeah, I think in January, I was one of the people saying, ah, looks like it's a bad case of the flu somewhere in Asia. Okay, Asia's not a big part of our business. So maybe on the passing radar, February was like, ooh, huh, what, what, mm, this is looking a little more problematic. And then March, everything came, came crashing down for everyone. When a business that has been run profitably for 
18 years, every single quarter, differing growth rates, but always up. All of a sudden, like, boom, the, the bottom drops out. You kind of got to move into action really quickly because nobody at that time knew how long this would last. We knew it was going to be severe. And, uh, and at that point, you didn't even know if the financial markets were going to lock up and, yeah. and make just, just, just meeting payroll tough. We didn't have enough cash in the bank to survive, but we were an extremely profitable company beforehand. So, you know, boom, we hit the financial markets. We borrowed money for the first time in 18 years. It wasn't interest rates that you see today, but there, was, there were funds out there if you had decent credit to get it. So the government did a great job of making sure funds were available to deserving businesses. And everyone kept their fingers crossed on how long it would wait. We had to go through a really painful uh, reduction in our workforce across the globe. And then, you know, <laughs> when you don't know how long it's going to take to come back and you have fewer people, I, I hesitate to use the word, but you get the opportunity to think, what do I want to do differently now that the world's changed? And it was in the Clinton years, someone said, you know, we never let a good crisis go to waste. So here's the Nobody expects me to hit any quarterly numbers, revenue or profit right now. So how do we want to reinvent the company so that when we come out, it looks a hell of a lot better than the various challenges that we faced going in? And that's what we set about doing. And I think we did a pretty darn good job of it. Well, you're still here better than ever. What were a couple of the things that you invented uh, for this phase? The biggest, newest effort was post-pandemic. We think there's a great category called a travel subscription. So if you think of things that you as individuals have subscribed to offline, you have your kind of newspaper uh, subscription, perhaps various magazines, but now online, you've got some television services, a Netflix or a Hulu uh, or a Disney. You've got music, you have a Spotify or a Pandora. You have Amazon Prime for shopping, perhaps. Maybe you have a Rent the Runway or a Peloton subscription. Like All of a sudden, if you look at your credit card bill, you will often find quite a few monthly subscriptions. And they're really good because you actually can cancel them at any point, but you're getting regular value based upon it. And we looked around and said, and who's doing that in travel? And the answer is kind of travel clubs and travel subscriptions have been around forever, but nobody I knew of, and certainly my kids had never heard of a travel club or subscription, right? They're all really small or they're, they're part of an American Express program or they're part of a Capital One or something. And so we said, look, we're the largest travel site. We have pre-COVID 400 million unique users per month coming to our site. They're looking to travel. Why else would they be on our site? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can we invent a travel subscription product that someone would be, pay, that would be willing to pay for at a reasonable price? We picked $100 a year, $99 a year. And then what would they want for that? Well, in travel, it's pretty easy. 
everybody wants to save money. Right. And everyone spends right. a lot of time shopping around for deals. Well, here's a case where TripAdvisor for hotels already shops around on your behalf for deals and will tell you who the cheapest is. Maybe it's Expedia today, maybe it's booking.com tomorrow, maybe it's Priceline on a third day. And, and that's what our we call our, our hotel meta search business does for you. You find the hotel you like, and then we help you find the best price. Now, what if belonging to our travel subscription, we could sell you that a reservation at that hotel at the best price we found and then give you 10% back in cash back or 20% back, or we give you 10% off the first place. So it's, it's a discount. And so we've played with both models, but the subscription product that we came out with called TripAdvisor Plus, is literally $99 a year on hundreds of thousands of hotels. We're giving you 10, 20, 30% in, in cash back as you check in at the hotel your phone beeps and hey, you've got you've got $150 ready for you to spend. And the cool thing about the subscription is that that's ready to spend money, not just on TripAdvisor, we'll send it right to your bank account or your Venmo or PayPal or whatever you want. So you can go spend it tomorrow night at a really nice restaurant wherever you are, if that's how you want to spend it. And so it's a nice way to kind of up your travel with the cash back. And then we're giving you 10% off of all of our experiences, uh, all the different tours and activities that we sell. So in summary, how do we educate the world that there's this thing called the travel subscription product and subscribe tens of millions of folks to it? And that's, that's not something the travel industry has seen. We have the audience, we have the supply, and we have lots of the ingredients to do it. And our prediction is that somebody will do that very well, and we hope that somebody is us. Far from uh, setting up uh, the lifeboats on the Titanic, you're uh, really looking at this in a way that is really quite bullish on travel as we continue to navigate COVID moving forward. You're feeling good about this. We saw that as soon as vaccines were out in the U.S., we saw in the third quarter, the U.S. as a, we're a very global company, but the U.S. as a market soared higher than the 2019 levels in overall mm. travel. And that's with a lot of travelers saying, no, 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 it's not safe to go out. Right. Hey, there were enough people that said, holy cow, I've been cooped up for 12 months. I got to get myself out. I'm going somewhere. Darn it. Europe's closed. Asia like is is closed with an iron gate and fine i'm going to san francisco or i'm going to cancun i'm like people switch their destinations to where they could go to almost all of our travel was domestic because uh, mm -hmm. that's certainly the easiest uh, you know i i, I was uh, uh, i was on stage at a conference was being was talking about kind of like some of the longer lasting impacts of covid on the travel industry and and my comments were, I genuinely believe that having all of us be locked up for the past 18 months, not being able to go, in my opinion, not only is generating a bit of you know, revenge travel effect, oh, now I, I got to get, I got to go take twice a month. I think in our psyche, it's helped to remind us that we can't take advantage of the fact 
of travel. Like we had all taken it for granted. That's what I mean to say. We we all took travel for granted. And then when we couldn't do it, I think we gained a new appreciation. So my prediction is that the average leisure travel in 2023, you know, long after pandemic, will be up from 2019 more than historical norms because COVID has enabled us to find this new appreciation and we're not going to let it go. We're going to want to, you know, get out there and take those trips. So it sounds like a TripAdvisor, TripAdvisor Plus trajectory for the company is really positive and just uh, continuing to grow. So with all that good stuff coming, I was taken by surprise to see in the newspaper that uh, you announced your upcoming retirement from the company. Tell us about your decision to retire, Stephen. So uh, uh, a week ago, Monday, we did kind of disclose to the world that I plan to step down sometime in 2022 when, when my successor is named. By that point, I'll have been at the helm for deep breath, 22 years. And it's been a phenomenal run, far better than any expectations could have could possibly have been. And I feel like the company's in a really good spot, having taken advantage of this pandemic to reinvent ourselves with a subscription product, a new focus on experiences, helping you book the right tour and activity, which is a massive category coming online. And while of course we have competition out there, plenty of people who are interested in having you, the traveler, go to their site rather than ours. I think we're in a good position to continue to grow, not just because of COVID coming back, but to have more and more travelers of an even younger generation fall in love and depend upon that travel guidance they get on TripAdvisor. So there's no perfect time for me to step down And there's a ton, a ton, a ton of executional challenges ahead. Competition is very real in the space. Keeps us on our toes, certainly. But company has a great direction, confident in its future. I'll be a shareholder for a long time. But maybe I've got another itch I want to scratch. I want to go do something else. Uh, I turned 59 last year. And hey, if it takes... 10 years to, to build a company, not, not that that's a magic number or anything. You know, if I want to go do one more thing, I, I kind of better get started. And I certainly mm. wasn't going to go anywhere in the middle of a pandemic, but we're not out of it globally, but the, the path is pretty clear. So I, I wanted to give the company plenty of time. It'll, it'll still be my, my baby, if you will. I'm cheering from the sidelines, but it's it's very fine with me that somebody else will hopefully have some of my skills and where I was good and be a hell of a lot better than me in all the areas that I needed improvement. And that will be a, a, a blessing for the company. It sounds very much like you're gliding into this next stage of your life and you're up for a new challenge. I'm excited to think about being excited about something brand new. So I'm I'm very good with the uncertainty in the meantime. I assume that the philanthropy that you've been involved with over the years, that's that's something that will continue to be uh, an interest, uh, a passion of yours. Um, could you tell us something about the the one that you're working on now? Sure. Part of it started maybe, I guess it's coming up on five, six years ago with the Syrian civil war refugee crisis. 
And in the pictures that were in the newspapers of the, uh, the migrations and just the, the challenges other countries were having in accepting the refugees, the big camps in Greece, I found it extremely painful to watch. So we have a TripAdvisor Foundation that has kind of tens of millions of dollars in it. And through that organization, and I sit on the board of that foundation, we started getting very active in funding some great organizations, Mercy Corps and the, and the IRC and several others, working on kind of the immediate relief efforts for that, for that crisis. That made me even more aware of kind of plight of refugees in general. And so both through the foundation and then uh, a little bit personally got more involved. And then most recently with our hasty evacuation from Afghanistan, that caused this other surge of, of refugees. And so here is where, you know, I'm, I'm a follower, I'm not a leader on this, but I hooked up with some other folks, including the community sponsorship hub, where the, they have a, a model where we're trying to build a refugee resettlement program here in the States that is similar to Canada, where, hey, the, the government agrees to a, allow a number of people in. And then in the US, historically, it's just been a official refugee resettlement agency that helps get people settled for a month, and then they're kind of on their own. And the system in Canada is kind of brilliant because it allows individual communities, religious groups or other social active groups to, or individual families to sponsor a refugee or refugee family, bring them into the community, provide the community support to help them find a good job, kids in school, and that integrates them in the community in such a wonderful way, gives them a, a fresh start. And all these refugees have been you know, vetted six times over by various government agencies, have sometimes been in you know, horrible refugee camps for years and years, and then they get brought into Canada. And again, we had funded some, some efforts to expand that program on the private side in Canada. And so now, backing uh, back to the Afghan refugee situation, the Biden administration is eager to have these refugees resettled across the country, but it's a massive influx. And so how can we do that in the most welcoming way that leaves behind this notion of the community supporting the refugees emotionally as part of their community to build in this, you know, these aren't strangers that are invading our country. These are refugees that we are welcoming. And if you think back to all the other, you know, bigger refugee immigrations, the uh, Cambodian from Vietnam, from Cuba, like these are folks that have come in and there was challenges at the time. There was loud voices about how horrible this was. And then complete agreement 10, 20 years later that this was great for America provided work, communities, longstanding, popular, and well-integrated members of the community. And we are convinced that that's what's going to happen with the, uh, with the Afghan refugees that are still entering the country. And we hope through this community sponsorship hub initiative, we get more and more grassroots involvement so that every community will be saying, yeah, that'd be great. We'll happily sponsor 
another set, another set from all the other refugee populations around the globe. Because uh, as everyone knows, it's it's not just Afghans. There's another 50, 60, 70 million global refugees that uh, through no fault of their own are stuck in these miserable camps. And, and America is such a strong country with such a need for the work hard ethic that all immigrants bring to the country that it's just a, a from my perspective, a very natural win-win, open arms, no downside. And that's why I'm very supportive of it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is really extraordinary uh, work. And uh, I know over the years, you've, there've been a number of venues where you've made a difference. And uh, this one, I think will bear fruit, uh, not just, you know, in the next six months, but really for years to come and for the descendants of those uh, refugees. Steve, it has been uh, such a blast to uh, sit and talk with you about who and what you are. And we are so eager to follow where you go next. And uh, we are thankful you're a member of this community and congregation. And we look forward to uh, seeing you in that in, in our new space again soon. And in the meantime, take care and send our love to Lisa and to all the kids. Well, thank you very much. Uh, a, a pleasure to be on the program. And likewise, I look forward to seeing uh, you and everyone else in person uh, in, the, in the temple quite soon. Amen. Take care. Find all of our episodes on BethAvodah.org or on podcast sites everywhere. 